Are you just watching? Episode 38, Save the Last Dance. I'm Eve Franklin, and welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. One of the most popular episodes that we ever recorded, it's got the highest stats of every episode we have in our playlist, was the review that I did on the movie Footloose. And it's it's amazing because that wasn't even necessarily a real positive review. I typically try to only review movies that I can be ultra positive about because I don't like to go on and on and on about negative things about a movie. I typically want to review movies that I hope people will watch and enjoy. But Footloose has been a very popular episode. Because of that, I decided to come back around and do another dance genre movie. And Save the Last Dance, I'd never seen it before. It's, it was made in 2001, and it has an actress in it that I've seen in several other movies. Julia Stiles, she's been in uh, the very the first Prince and Me, not the sequels. They, they replaced her in the sequels. But she was in The Prince and Me, and she was also in all three of the Bourne movies as uh, one of the agents. And she... She's, it's a minor role, but she, it, she made it into all three movies. So I thought she did a fabulous job. But this is when she was much younger that she made this movie. And it, very fascinatingly enough, she did all her own dancing in this movie, including the ballet dancing, which from what I understand is very tough to do. And you usually have to be, to start it as a child, uh, to have the flexibility to do any good ballet dancing and maybe uh, the ballet dancers that know what the art actually consists of would watch the movie and say she's not all that good but I thought she did a fabulous job and the movie itself is is a mixture of how this ballerina basically uh, mix learns the hip hop hip hop culture <laughs> say that several times really fast uh, she learns the hip hop culture and she combines it into her ballet dancing in order to successfully audition for Juilliard. That's the underlying story of the movie. Now, I don't recommend this movie for a family audience. It has a lot of bad language in it. And part of that is just the culture that it's filmed in because it is filmed in a ghetto of, of you know, kids in, in this high school. They have to go through metal detectors to go into class and they, uh, they swear every other word and they have lifestyles that is not generally recommended. And I feel really, really sad for young people that are raised in those lifestyles because they, they never have any um, chance to see how the society that they're raised in really has an impact on how they live their lives. And so they don't see anything wrong with the swearing and the, the drugs and the sex and all of that. They just, that's, that's what they live in. And so this is a very nitty gritty movie. It, it really immerses you into that culture. And so the language is just, the kind of language that you would hear in those circumstances. This movie has a lot of things to talk about because it talks about teenage pregnancy. It talks about drugs and about uh, finishing school and going for college education. It talks about following your dreams. It talks about guilt over um, the death of a, of a loved one. It, it talks about prejudice. It talks about interracial relationships. There's so much to talk about in this movie. And so I thought it would be worth just delving into to some degree so that we can explore some of these concepts, which I usually don't get to talk about too much in a lot of the movies that I choose to talk about. And so really, I won't be talking a whole lot about dance. And I did care cover that topic fairly well in, when I talked about the movie Footloose. So if you want to hear um, basically my position on dancing as it relates to a Christian worldview, then you might go back and look up that episode and listen to it. I'll put the link to that episode in the show notes so you can go back. 
Now, it's likely you don't like hip-hop music. There, It takes a certain person to like it. And if you don't like hip-hop music, you are not going to like the music in this movie because all of it is hip-hop. Even the classical stuff is hip-hop because the piece you just heard is actually the contemporary piece that she dances to during her Juilliard audition. And it starts with a very classical sounding lead in, but it does turn into this song. And that's actually what they were aiming for was to mix, do it like a, a, a song that would mix the classical themes with a hip hop song. So it is, it was that particular song was made for the movie, but it, it, um, if, if you like hip hop, then most of the music is worth listening to. Now, some a lot of it has bad words in it, so you kind of have to live with that when you listen to hip hop. This particular song, I don't believe, has a bad word in it, so it it's actually kind of a fun song because it talks about living uh, living for your dreams and not giving up and just going ahead and throwing it all in, all or nothing. Which is there are actually really are some good teaching points in this movie, and that's one of them is that if you're if you're going to do something. Uh, give it your all. Don't, don't hold back. Don't, uh, let fear or anything else keep you from doing what you're meant to do. In fact, in Colossians 3, 23 through 24, it says in the scripture, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And that is kind of the message here is, is that you're, you're, you're doing course they're not talking about doing it for the lord but in the movie but in in actuality in our lives as christians we should do everything give everything our all and as if we were doing it for god no matter what we're doing because we are doing it for god in the end all of our reward comes from serving god not from man not a paycheck not what other people think of us there's lots of reasons and motivations for doing what you do but for christians the number one motivation should be that we are serving god in whatever we do you're leaving for st louis after lunch i'm not going to see you we should pray Lindsay. awesome father sj auditions today let her do okay this movie may not have a Christian theme, but it does have a seemingly Christian character, and she's extremely minor. She's Sarah's friend from the school that she is moving away from at the beginning of the movie. In fact, she moves away from this uh, school as she's, and we're seeing flashbacks as to what has caused the move uh, during her train trip, and that's the way the movie starts. So this this little snippet of her friend wanting to pray for her is um, just a, a real quick flashback that fades into another flashback. So it's very brief. And But you do see this character later on in the movie briefly when she calls her and talks to her about some of the things that are going on in her school. I'm going to go again. You are? Well, have you seen anybody get shot yet? What? No, I didn't see anyone get shot yet. I didn't move to Bosnia. Well, I'm still gonna pray for you. Sarah, you're in the freaking ghetto. Forget about the drive-bys. How are you supposed to meet anybody? Um, well, I did actually meet somebody, I think. I, I met this guy, and he's really cool. They got white guys at your school? Um, no, actually, they don't. Now, the two words I blooped bleep from that segment of dialogue from the movie were actually not found words as the world would say. They were both taking the Lord's name in vain. And it kind of bothers me that the Christian character that they portray in this movie, who is always saying she's going to pray for Sarah, it, right after she says, I'm going to pray for you, she then uses our Lord and Savior's name in vain. 
and I have to bleep it out so that you guys don't hear that. And that that's the way so often that Christians are portrayed as hypocrites. It's like we, we say one thing and we do another. And then she's blatantly prejudiced, which I guess maybe that is the way the world sees Christians is just that we just hypocritically say one thing. And then when we're talking to other people or the way we behave or whatever, we, we come across in a totally different way. So this is kind of a reminder to us as Christians that if we're going to be overly Christian in the way that we interact with our friends, that we have to be consistent in applying that in every interaction, not just saying we're going to pray for somebody, but having clean speech and being openly loving towards everybody. It's not just a matter of uh, saying you're going to pray for somebody and then just behaving like the rest of the world. We have to be different. Now, the prejudice in, in this character is actually an underlying theme through the whole movie is talking about prejudice because Sarah actually gets in a relationship with Derek and she's very white and he's, uh, I wouldn't say very black, but he's definitely black and he comes from the ghetto. But he's a man who has dreams of something better. He wants to be a pediatrician. He wants to be a doctor. And they genuinely have a lot in common. And so they, they get together and they have this really good relationship. But on every end, either the white side or the black side, they are running into all kinds of problems with this relationship. And that's a, a very important theme through the movie. In fact, there's a scene where they're riding together from one place to another on the bus. And there's this woman who's looking on. And so they start making out purposely because she is obviously disapproving of them even sitting next to each other. And at this point, they're not really having that kind of relationship, but they decide to do it just to get on her nerves because she's obviously uh, having a problem with the two of them together just because she's white and he's black. And so it is kind of an underlying uh, theme of the movie that the, this interracial marriage, this the white girl doesn't belong with black boys. And I know that that is kind of a cultural thing here in the United States that a lot of the older generation were raised with that. And so that's just the way they think. And uh, I hate to say it, but a lot of that is evolutionary because they were taught in their biology uh, textbooks back in the, the early 1900s. The biology textbooks actually taught that the black people were inferior to white people. And so that was the way they were raised to think that. And we know that it, we now know that that is not true. And so as we learning more and more about disproving evolution and showing that the whole hierarchy of, of uh, primitive man to superior man is inaccurate, uh, that we can put some of those prejudicial roots behind us. But from a b biblical point of view, there isn't any reason for us to uh, disparage somebody based on the color of their skin, because we're all one blood. We're all descended from Adam and Eve, and we're all descended from the eight people who came off of Noah's flood. So there isn't any reason to think that one group of people is inferior to another group of people based on skin color or the shape of their eyes or anything like that. It's, it's all, we're all related. And so there is the only interracial marriage is the marriage between a believer and an unbeliever, according to scripture. And I'll put some stuff in the show notes that, uh, some links to articles and stuff in the show notes so that you can follow up on that if you'd like to learn more. But what I do find fascinating about this movie is that it's not just talking about white prejudice against black. It deals with the black prejudice against white. And that is actually something that you don't see dealt with very much in movies because everybody seems to think that prejudice is something that white people have. 
and they don't realize that it's something that black people have too. It's both sides of the, both sides have problems with the other side. And it's, it is cultural. It's the way we were raised a lot of times. And you see that very much in this movie because Sarah has a couple conversations with two different characters in this movie that really bring out some of the reasons why Derek's friends and family have problems with her. You never look as good as she does with him. That's all you. Your milk. You no point trying to mix. Now this is uh, Derek's best friend, who is actually kind of a bad boy in the movie. He gets into a lot of trouble. But he sees Derek dancing with his ex-girlfriend, Nikki. And Sarah is walking away, and he confronts her and says, you know, that she's always going to look better than you because she's black and you're white. And so... That she runs into prejudice there, but she also has a, a fight with Nikki uh, just a little further on in the movie. And when they're forced to sit together after the fight, this is part of the conversation. Because you always in my way. I'm only in your way when it comes to Derek. That's what this is all about. No, it's about you. White girls like you. Creeping up. Taking on men. The whole world ain't enough. You gotta conquer ours, too. Now, later on, Sarah is talking to her friend Chanel about this conversation, actually claiming that she had blamed the fight on Nikki because of this. And Chanel actually backs Nikki up. Now, this comes at a time when Chanel's kind of not, um, is kind of in a bad mood over a relationship with her child's father. So it, it kind of comes out in a way that maybe she wouldn't have necessarily said it if she was in a better mood. But this is what she says. She started it. I told you what she said. Maybe she didn't have no business getting up in your face, but she had reason to say what she said. Wait a minute. You agree with her? You and Derek act like it don't bother people to see you two together. Like it don't hurt people to see. Well, we like each other. I... What is the big deal? It's me and him, not us and other people. Black people, Sarah. Black women. Derek's about something. He's smart. He's motivated. He's for real. He's not just going to make some babies and not take care of them or run the streets messing up his life. He's going to make something of himself. And here you come white, so you got to be right. And you take one of the few decent men we have left after jail, drugs, and drive-by. That is what Nikki meant about you up in our world. There's only one world, Chanel. That is what they teach you. We know different. You know what I find ironic about the scene is that Sarah's defending the whole anti-prejudice view. She is defending, hey, we all live in the same world. There shouldn't be any kind of racial or class or societal barriers between two people who love each other. That shouldn't exist. And she's she's got the view that everybody tells us we're supposed to have. And it's her friend, her black friend, Chenille, who's coming back and saying, we know different, There, that this doesn't exist. There are always going to be these barriers. And so it's it's interesting that the prejudice that Sarah is facing is the prejudice that of the black community against her because she's white and coming into their neighborhood and stealing their men. I kind of get the perspective of that if you live in a bad society and you have only a handful of really good men, you don't want people coming from outside and taking them. But at the same time, you have to take the point of view of the man in this and that he doesn't have a whole lot to choose from in his culture and society because they're all uh, not worth picking from. And so I think that that is one of the things that as 
people who want to spread the love of Christ, we need to look into these cultures and see how we can help mend the relationships between the people who live there instead of coming in. And I actually think that they're a little hard on Sarah in this because Sarah has moved into the ghetto. It's not like she's somebody who's coming on a short-term mission trip and she's just uh, picking out a guy and saying, hey, come live with me in the country. She's actually been transplanted into the ghetto. This is now her community, her people. And even though she's white in the predominantly black neighborhood, it doesn't make it any less her neighborhood. And so they're not accepting of her because of the color of her skin. She's actually facing the prejudice because of her skin color, even even though they are saying that she's and she's trying not to be prejudiced. She's being ultimately colorblind through the whole movie. You never see her making any judgment calls because of the people who are black versus white. She just she's completely colorblind. She's going through it completely innocent to the fact that anybody would have any kind of problem with skin color. And maybe that's naive on her part, but that's the way everybody, that's the way us white people, I should say, are raised to think that that's the perfect world. That's the way we're supposed to be as colorblind. But at the same time, the other side of the debate is, is we're not allowed to be colorblind because we keep being told that we cannot treat everybody as being the same color, that, that we have to avoid the black people because they don't want the white people coming and taking the black uh, splitting out the black people away from out of their culture or their society. So we can't, we're not allowed to be colorblind. And I think that that is one of the issues this movie really brings out is, is that there is this prejudice on both sides, that it's not just a one-sided debate. There is this prejudice on both sides. Now, on the same note, we have this, the where she is in that, you, you hear the child crying during that whole conversation. Chanel is actually a teenage mom, and she got in trouble or knocked up or however you want to say it by with a relationship with a an, an boy her age who is basically avoiding her um, through a good bit of the, of the movie because he doesn't want to take responsibility for the child that he created with her. And so there is this this underlying story about the the deadbeat dads the uh the problem with with sex in the younger generation and how they uh end up in trouble and and you know that leads to abortion and it leads to uh teen mothers trying to raise these children and and you see that throughout this movie in fact there's a there's a scene where Sarah even asks Derek if he's fathered any children he he gets a little insulted by that but that's one of the things that she just start, begins to assume that uh that there is this stuff going on in the background where uh, these boys are fathering children right and left. And, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen. That's one of the reasons why Planned Parenthoods, uh, are predominantly found in black neighborhoods, uh, lower income black neighborhoods, because they, they can get the majority of their money by ending pregnancies and destroying young lives in these neighborhoods. Because these kids are not making wise decisions when they're together. And it's kind of sad because there, there's so many, uh, ways that we could train these young people to have more respect for their bodies and more respect for life. And yet the culture is just so pervasive in, in their neighborhoods and you, they need to be reached out to. But I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, fatherhood and parenthood because it is such an underlying theme in this movie. What's wrong with him? He don't know you, Kenny. I'm his father. He knows me. What should I do? Come around more often. See, I can't talk to you. And I can't depend on you. <coughs> now, what do you think I use to raise this baby? Oxygen right, right. has needs, Kenny. 
and his needs require money. Here we go. And we're gonna keep going until I get what I need from you to raise your son. I'm doing the best that I can. But do you think that your mouth helps the situation? I'm just trying to deal with this I didn't ask for this. What? And I did? Well, I climbed on top of myself and got pregnant? Now, language aside, one of the things that I do like about this movie is that it presents the other side of the story about the whole getting in a relationship with a boy outside of wedlock and what happens when uh, emotions uh, take you to the next level. And I think that the the good side of this, even though it is showing a fight between uh, two teenage parents who have not gotten married and are not raising their child together, uh, is that there are consequences and and no abortion is not the answer because that even adds to the consequences because then you have to deal with the guilt of murdering your child and and all of the other things that come with that both physical and emotional but even if you keep the child and 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 try to raise it properly you're still going to run into these kind of problems where you're having fights with people about how you're going to pay for the all of the things that the child needs and and it's just there's there's a consequences just horrible consequences to making decisions that uh, put you in these circumstances and I think instead of making abortion and birth control so easy to come by for young girls we need to be teaching them about abstinence and about the consequences and I, that's one of the reasons I like this movie is because it does show the consequences not just of teenage sex but of drugs and violence and gang activity and all the other things it's all presented in a bad light in this movie in such a way that you see hopefully can see that there are ch choices and decisions that these young people have made that have brought to them to this situation and you can make different choices if you're in a situation like this you can make different decisions Chanel could have given that baby up for adoption and then she wouldn't have tried to raise it for herself Kenny could have offered to marry her and then they could have had some kind of a relationship where they were equally supporting the child instead of her just harassing him constantly about giving her money so there there are different choices that could be made number one they could have made the choice not to have sex unsafe sex or sex at all there are options and you don't have to be stuck in that now in in scripture we know from various places in scripture that there that premarital sex is wrong I mean, if you're a Christian, you should know that. There shouldn't be the situation of trying to come up with justification or reasons for doing sex when you're not married to the person you're having sex with. And then on top of that, the scripture's pretty clear that a marital relationship is to, until death do us part. It's not supposed to be uh, something that you enter into lightly. There's a commitment there that is for a lifetime. And that solves a lot of problems. The reason why our society, especially in these ghettos, is so bad, why the culture is so bad, is because of all of the single parent uh, homes. All these children are being raised outside of the proper family context. Now, despite the deadbeat dad figure that Kenny represents in the movie, and I will tell you that there is kind of a makeup scene between him and Chanel towards the end of the movie, so that there is kind of a healing of that relationship before the movie ends. But there's another father figure in this movie, and it is Sarah's father. Now, the backstory of this movie is that Sarah has lost her mother. She was killed in a, in a car accident on the day that she was auditioning uh, for 
Juilliard. Her mom didn't show up and her mom didn't show up because she was rushing to get there and was involved in a car accident that took her life. And so Sarah has been transplanted from where she lived with her mother to live with her father, who it appears must have been one of those deadbeat dads at one point because they he and her mother were separated and he was living in a completely different city and he's a musician and keeps really odd hours. And so I suspect that, you know, they're kind of implying that there, that he was one of those absentee fathers that did not take part in Sarah's life to any kind of extent. And you see him making promises to Sarah and not exactly being the best father figure, uh, leaving her alone, which she is a teenager. So she's pretty capable of staying by herself. But at the same time, He's trying because when she goes uh, without telling him, she goes to this dance club with her friends and she comes home late and he had come home on his break uh, where he was he was playing a gig and during his break, he can't find her. And so he just basically bows out of the rest of the gig to look for her because he's so worried about her. So he's trying. He's trying to be a good father. So we see kind of where he is trying to. Uh, connect with Sarah in a way that he's never been able to because she lived with her mom prior to this. You know, I, I didn't mean to mess up your life. Or your mother's. And I don't deserve a second chance to be your father. But I'm hoping you'll give me one anyway. You know, way back when... Thought I had all the time in the world to get to know you, for you to get to know me. But one day you wake up, you look around. All you got to show for yourself is a beautiful, talented little girl, young woman who hates you. I don't hate you. I miss her. Now, this scene actually happens when she comes home and he wants to show her something. And the room that he, when she first moved into the apartment with him, there was a room that he had set aside for hers, but it wasn't ready for her. And so she's been sleeping on the couch since she's moved in. And so he comes and he shows her, he slides the doors apart and there they are. The The, the room is all finished and a bed made and ready for, her, and they have this little heart to heart. Now, why I think that's important and why they stuck it in the movie is it's kind of a contrast. You see the younger father with Chenille, who doesn't have time and, and is irritated and, and with the responsibility of raising a child and, and is, is just doesn't even know what to do. And then you see this older father who uh, appears to have been the deadbeat dad when she was little and thought he had all the time in the world to make it up to her. And now she's nearly an adult and he suddenly has her in his life and he's trying to make it right. He's really trying to, to be there for her. In fact, he does come and is part of her audition, which her mother didn't make it when, when the first audition happened because of the, she had made excuses for not being there. And then she was rushing to try and get there anyway, because it meant so much to Sarah. And by doing that, she ends up in a wreck that kills her. And Sarah is dealing with a lot of guilt through the movie because she thinks it's because of her that her mother died. And so this is a very important scene where she learns that she can lean on her father. In fact, the uh, I'll skip a little bit more into that scene and, and, and jump right into the end of it because it's important. Derek is mad at me. He's not going to come tomorrow. I want him to be there. 
I need him to be there. I just want someone there who loves me. I love you. So in a way, they're saying through this uh, juxtaposition of two separate fathers and two separate situations in that true love is being there. That's how you show your love is by being there. It's not um, by giving things or money or whatever. It's just being there. That's what Sarah needed was somebody there that loved her. And that's what Chanel needed with her child was somebody there who loved them and could and who was there. And so I think that that is one of the things that we need to remember when, when we're trying to show our love to people in our lives is to not just um, tell them that you love them, but to be there. And Sarah's father is there. He shows up. He is there like he promises. And so does Derek. And so there is, there is a situation there where you find out that that's what love is, is being there. And you know what? God, who has, is the ultimate symbol of love in our lives. Well, he, he was there in the ultimate sense because he came to earth. He literally became a man and died for our sins. And there can't be any greater demonstration of love than that. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible that says that. In John fifteen thirteen, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that is like the ultimate sense of being there for you, for that person. And then in Romans 5, 7 through 8, it says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that is the ultimate form of being there, is being willing to lay down your life. Now, there's one other little thing that I want to bring out about this conversation between Sarah and her father before I leave it. And that is that you notice that she said that she wanted Derek to be there because she wanted someone there that loved her. And I think that because of this culture we now have of absentee fathers, of women raising their children by themselves, that a lot of the the perpetuation of that uh, that that culture after generation after generation after generation is that these young people are turning to each other to try and fill in the holes in the relationships they should be having with their parents. In other words, she's looking to Derek to be there for her because she doesn't expect her father to be there for her, even though he does turn out being there for her. And so I think that that is one of the reasons why we see so many girls getting in trouble with boys is because they they can't depend on their fathers. And this should be a a testament to how important fathers are in the lives of their children. It's not just that they uh, fulfill the needs of taking care of them in a physical sense, but they fulfill emotional needs as well. And if they're not there, then those children are going to turn to each other or to different things in order to fill those emotional needs. And so this is an important lesson uh, and I don't even think that they even realized they brought that out in the movie when she said that. I'm not sure that that was the point of the director. Uh, I don't know that the writer of the script even realized that she what she was saying there, but that she was saying that she needed Derek to be there because she needed someone to love her to be there. And they went ahead and filled in the gap by saying that her dad said, I love you and I'm going to be there. But at the same time, they, they may have glossed, may not have realized the lesson that they were bringing out that that was why she was turning to Derek because she needed 
that emotional support and she didn't feel like she could get it from her parents. And her mom was obviously dead, so couldn't give it to her, but her dad had been absent all her life. She didn't even feel like she could depend on him in this. And so we need to remember that that is a very, very important role that parents play in their kids' lives as being them there for them emotionally so that they don't have to look elsewhere for that emotional support. It's interesting because we can also find that emotional support for ourselves through a relationship with God. Um, maybe one of the things that has not come out from me and being a host of this program is that I am single. And I have been single for very many years. And I've recently come to an understanding that my relationship with the, my Lord and Savior, that that relationship should be enough, that I shouldn't have to go looking for love in order to feel complete, that I can be complete as a Christian and a child of God without having that that fulfillment of marriage or sexual relationship or any of that, that God can be enough. And I can tell you this, after many years of struggling with this, God is enough. You don't have to fill those holes with, with human emotions and human relationships. God can be sufficient. He, you don't have to look elsewhere. He can fill all of those deep, dark, needy holes in your heart. He He's there. And so if you don't have a physical father to fill those holes, then look to your spiritual father because he can be there for you. He will be there for you. That's it for my review of this movie. But if you want to check out another perspective, be sure to go to Plugged In Online's review. I'll put the link in the show notes so you can get there quickly quickly and easily. They bring out some of the same things I bring out, but from a slightly different perspective. So you might want to read through their review. If you're interested in seeing the movie, just be be aware that there is a lot of bad language in it. And as the Plugged In review says, it's mostly conversational. But you, it is if you're sensitive to it, it, it can be quite a bit. Um, hard to listen to. So uh, just keep that in mind. Hey, did you see that? <laughs> it's a genetic mutation that lies dormant through adolescence. Sometimes it never breaks out. Until then, people like you think they're just regular sex. Homo sapiens. As in human. Uh, if I'm not human, what the hell am I? You, my friend, are a homo superior. We didn't pick that name either. Now, that clip is from the CW's new show, the pilot for the new show, The Tomorrow People. And I I always check out a lot of the new shows just because I'm curious what com- is coming out in a new season. And this one uh, bodes to be the CW's attempt to do something like uh, ABC's Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but not done as quite as well. Now, I I chose this clip mainly because I think it's hilarious that all of these shows are coming out talking about mutations and and new human species and all of this. And yet we don't ever see any of this actually happening. It's one of those things that uh, evolution predicts that never comes true. And we make fun of it in in TV shows and they deal with it in a very uh, scientific way. Like there's this mutation that turns people into something different and they are another species. But it doesn't actually ever happen that way. I mean, any mutations that are introduced into the human genome actually create problems like Down syndrome and other uh, genetic disorders. So you don't ever actually see mankind getting better. You see them getting worse. 
every time I see this in new TV shows, it just tickles me that they keep bringing it up as if some mutation at some point is going to introduce this new species of humanity that's going to be superior to the old species of humanity. X-Men did it. You see it a lot in comic books. And now you, you have TV shows that do it. Um, there was a TV show on Sci-Fi Channel a couple seasons ago called Alphas. And now there's the Tomorrow People. And we ha obviously have the comic book shows like Arrow and uh, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I always stumble on that name. Anyway, it's a concept uh, that I guess comes out of evolution and they feel like they need to make it part of the culture. But in actuality, they're just mocking their own inability to uh, have a, any kind of ac a real foundation for these shows because evolution just doesn't work that way. And to keep saying that it does is just pure fantasy. Now, I still haven't received any submissions for my Did You See That segment. I would really like my listeners to take part in this. You can take part in a number of ways. You can record it yourself, uh, getting clips from TV shows, news. Uh, it can be commercials. It can be anything that you see it that you can apply a Christian worldview to and discuss for a brief amount of time. I'm not going to put a time limit on it. I would prefer that you keep it short so that I can tack it in on the end of a regular episode. But I would love to get some input on this because I'd love to be able to see that my listeners are taking what I am talking about and applying it in their own entertainment. And there are a variety of ways you can get that to us. You can either record one using our send voicemail link on our website, which you can find to the right of the show notes, or you can uh, call our feedback number 903-231-2221 and record one right there in the voicemail. And that will get, uh, then I can take that out of the voicemail system and put it into an episode. You can also record it yourself and send it to our email address, which is at feedback at are you just watching.com and put, did you see that in the subject line? Now, all of those options are also available. If you just want to give us feedback, you can also find us on Facebook and you can comment on my posts as I uh, send links to the posts in our Facebook page. And that is just, you just need to search for, are you just watching in the, the search section of Facebook? Uh, you can also uh, sign up to get our tweets. Uh, I, I don't tweet very often, but I usually try to tweet when I have a new episode out. So if you want to keep up with it that way, then you can uh, you can subscribe to me at twitter.com slash Eve Franklin. Now, uh, we do want to make sure that you don't miss an episode, so you can go and subscribe to us by iTunes. Uh, when you're on our website at the show notes, which are at areyoujustwatching.com slash 38, um, those are the show notes for this particular episode. It, once you have uh, gone to our uh, website to see the show notes. There's a whole variety of options for of things that you can do, ways that you can subscribe and links that you can click on. So make sure that you do check out the show notes. Those are important. And once again, those are at areyoujustwatching.com slash 38. I'm just absolutely thrilled that you tuned in and listened to this entire episode. Like I said, if you missed the previous uh, discussion that I had on dance when I did the episode for Footloose, then do do check out the link that will be in the show notes to hear that one as well. And go ahead and subscribe. I'm not real regular at getting these episodes out. I have gotten some complaints through the feedback line of wondering whether the podcast has died. And I do apologize so much for that because I had an extremely busy summer and I just did not have time to record anything. So I'm hoping that now that winter's kicking in, I'll have more time to get episodes done uh, on my weekends when I'm not at work and 
can start uh, working on this backlog of movies that I want to talk about. So if you have any suggestions of movies that you would like to hear me talk about, do leave that in the comments to the show notes or on Facebook or send it to feed, to the feedback email address because um, I pretty much kind of get stuck in the rut in the kind of movies that I watch and and talk about. So if there is a, something specific that I'm missing that you would like to hear me talk about, then for, uh, feel free to suggest it. And I just want to thank you once again for listening. I'm Eve Franklin. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx.